keep waiting on the Lord and keep the words we've heard and you know thinking of Julie's word as well just on our hearts it's really encouraging really encouraging that each and every one of us just reaches out to God uh, that's what church is isn't it when we as together we reach out to the Lord so do open your Bibles please to Hosea chapter 10 uh, I wanted to share a word today about getting back on track getting back on track and it's a prat- I hope it will be practical but also challenging and encouraging as well uh, the, obviously the impact on our lives over the past 18 months has been huge I'm sure for every one of us we've all experienced all of these events a bit differently but very profoundly uh, and I, I found it actually a really painful time over these past 18 months you know particularly when it came to you know closing church which just goes against everything in me or you know the doors of the church not the church but closing the doors seeing ministries that were flourishing um, uh, seemed to kind of stop um, I found it really painful and, and we talked over the time of this about lament and I think there is a lamenting there has been a lamenting uh, in the church not only of the ministry but in so many different ways of the loss we've we've suffered loss over this time there's been grief not only the grief of bereavement but the grief of other things as well that we uh, you know have lost over this time there's also been such a climate of fear around and that's something that we must not let hold on us we are not subject to the spirit of fear but of love and of a sound mind but fear has caused a lot of impact in our world and on us and there's also just been the effect just of the sheer amount of change that we've all experienced there's so much change going on isn't there which can be quite tiring is anybody tired (laughs) emotionally in your soul it's this is a time where we could be quite soul tired and it's a lot to do with all change and disorientation Uh, and all of this all of what we've been experiencing increases our sense of vulnerability and fragility uh, and and this tiredness and you know we've also had in our own church family here we've actually in the last 18 months we've had 11 people pass away which is is a lot of people isn't it dear people precious people Um, and we honor their memories but that's a lot, isn't it? And uh, there's been a lot of grief and loss and sadness around that. They haven't all died of, they haven't really, most of them have died of other things rather than COVID. But still, just in this time, this is what's happened. We've also had 18 people like move house, move away. <laughs> Friends, people we loved and, you know, we, that's great. You know, obviously life happens. But it's quite a lot of change, isn't it, for us as a church uh, with people moving on. We have, um, in, in, in lots of ways, less capacity as a church than we used to have because our teams are smaller at the moment than they were pre-pandemic. Uh, sometimes as well, uh, if we're honest, there's been a hit on confidence in ministry. Uh, you know, For example, if you've been an Ignite, pers- an Ignite team leader or a volunteer, 
you know, and then not to do anything, and then to suddenly go back into ministering with children and young people, it can feel a bit daunting and overwhelming, just as one example. And we can feel like our confidence has taken a bit of a knock. I don't know if you've noticed that for you over this time, but it can be very of work and of home life and of just life in general in church that people have discovered over this time. It's one of the things that I've talked to a number of people about, you know, that because we haven't been gathering here, people have developed other rhythms in life. And sometimes those rhythms are healthy and sometimes they're not so healthy. Uh, but it's, it's acknowledging the reality of where people, what the experience people are having at the moment. And uh, as I've thought about all of this, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a time that we find ourselves in. It's a, this is a moment for us. That's why I wanted to speak a word today about getting back on track. By that, I don't mean going back to the old normal, because we can't go back. We can only go forwards into something new. We're not talking about going back. We're talking about God doing something new. That's why you know Julie's word is really pertinent about those leaves falling, but actually... And actually, the Bible talks about, you know, seed falling and, and abiding alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. And so even though we've had a time that's been tough in many ways, God is absolutely faithful and strong and kind and gracious. The character of God has not changed. That's why we are a people of tremendous hope. Uh, there's a lovely worship song that says, you know, in the pressing, in the crushing, you are making new wine. You know, that old process of treading on the grapes, pressing them, crushing them, but it's making new wine. And I wonder whether the Spirit of God wants to make new wine and new wineskins and, and release fruit in, in, in us in a new way. So I want us to acknowledge what we are going through and have been through, but also never to lose hope and really to be encouraged that God is at work in all of this. And I've often reflected over the past 18 months, it's when we are at our weakest that God steps in. It's when we are at our lowest that God steps in. And the wonderful thing is, when he does that, everyone knows it was God and not us. Uh, because it couldn't be us. We haven't got anything to give. The tanks are empty. You know, it's like we haven't actually got our own resource. We can't boast about anything. It's all of God. Isn't it wonderful? God's tanks are full today, even if ours might be a bit empty. He is, he is so glorious. So how can we get back on track um, you know, and, and, and someone also shared um, this week a lovely picture from Zechariah 2, which I think is so good, about how you know, the prophet prophesies that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. And, I, and I've, I have been praying into that over this time of, you know, in the last 18 months. God wants to do something in us that even though what we had before was good, what he's doing, what he will do will be better will be greater, will be more like him. And so we pray that the Lord will, will do that. So how can we get back on track? How can we heal? How can we recover? How can we renew? 
Um, and that's why I was drawn to this passage in Hosea. Uh, Hosea, um, this book, this chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. Hosea prophesied in a dark time in, in Israel. So if you remember the story, you can read the story actually in the book of Second Kings. You get the, the history of it. But um, Hosea was, was a prophet in the 8th century B.C., in the northern kingdom of Israel. So there was Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And Hosea was a prophet in the north. He was a prophet during a tough time. Jeroboam II was a pretty bad king. He was, he was a nightmare, awful. Um, and that was the time when he was prophesying, Hosea. And uh, it was around the time when the Assyrian Empire was um, growing and Israel, unfortunately, in the year 722 BC, was was defeated and occupied, and and basically, you know, Assyria came in and swept them away. But Hosea was prophesying around about that time, a really dark time for Israel. Just to give you, I want to give us some context because I know these words were written to Israel in the eighth century BC, but they do apply to us too. But it's helpful to get some context. Uh, rather than, than, than not knowing it. So the book of Hosea, I would encourage you to read it. So chapters 1 to 3 is a picture, painting a picture of God's faithfulness to his people. And the picture that's used is marriage. So Hosea marries Gomer. Um, and Gomer is unfaithful. Uh, so really, there's heartbreak for Hosea. Because he loves Gomer, but Gomer is unfaithful. And it's between God and his people so often. And God wanted to speak through that relationship and to say, God is faithful. And yet we, as the people of God and in Israel's day, was unfaithful. And how God longed. There was a longing. And if you read the book of Hosea, it's like a heartbreaking in the heart of God. Passion in the heart of God is rejected. Uh, then in chapters 4 to 13, we get, a pic, we get various problems. Like we desperately need God. <laughs> um, because the people were, there were various warnings given because the people were serving other gods like Baal. Other gods were being worshipped. There was a lot of social injustice going on as well. There was um, a breaking of God's law. The people, uh, there were prophecies um, against Israel because Israel was trusting in Egypt and trusting in other alliances other than trusting in the Lord for deliverance. It's really interesting, isn't it? You know, how we can put our trust in human things rather than putting our trust in the Lord. And this is the, these were things that were causing unfaithfulness among the people of God. And the prophets prophesied, and Hosea spoke of this. But then in the last chapter, chapter 14, there's this beautiful description of hope. Even though there are many prophecies here, you know, if the people of God continue on the way they're going, there's going to be defeat and exile. Yet, in the final, in the final uh, chapter, the restoration and the hope is there. And obviously that hope in the Old Testament always points us to Jesus. Jesus is the hope that we have and Hosea pointed to that as well. And Hosea's message, in a nutshell, is that God's love is bigger than our sin. Uh, the, you know, there's no sin you can commit that the grace of God can't reach in and save you from. His, his love. 
So that's a little bit of the context of Hosea and why I wanted to share from it because you know, there, there are words and there are warnings and those warnings come with wooing as well uh, from the Lord that his, he wants his people to hear at this time. We, we, this is not a game. Life is not a game. You know, we, God wants to do remarkable things in his people uh, so that the glory of, the, of the, what's to come will be greater than what was. But we want to be his people who are willing to obey God. And there's four things I want to share briefly this morning. And it's from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Four words about how you can get back on track. If you feel that you, if you know that you've perhaps diverted or wandered or gone off the track a bit, here are four words that can help from Scripture to get back. First word is this, so. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Uh, And throughout this verse of scripture, the responsibility lies with us. It's really interesting. Uh, Don't pray, Lord, would you sow righteousness in me? Because that's not how it works. You and I have to do it. You have to do it. Um, We have to partner with God and co-labor with him and join with him. It's not just that he does everything and we just sit there. So he says, so righteousness for yourselves. You and I have responsibility in our Christian lives. Here, This is one of the massive lessons I feel we've, I hope we can be learning through all we've been through, is that we need to take responsibility for our own discipleship. You are as close to God as you really want to be. Because you can always go deeper if you want. But we're tension between that and the grace of God, of course. God's grace will always give us more than we were expecting. But he also doesn't, you know, we also don't play games with God. You know, he, he's an awesome God. He's a consuming fire. And when he calls us to him, we need to obey him or else we will not, we'll miss some of the blessing he had for us. So he's saying to the people of Israel, so righteousness And I want to ask us today, are we sowing, you know, like the seed, are we sowing righteousness in our lives? What do I mean by that? You know, first, the first thing could be just getting right with God. Are you keeping, are we keeping short accounts with God? Or are we spending days, weeks and months away from the Lord and then coming back and then, you know, flip-flopping in our faith? Uh, A double-minded person is, is not the way of discipleship. If you just read the epistle of James, a, a bit about double-mindedness. Can't be double-minded in the kingdom of God. Always remember God's grace is there, but we need to be sowing righteousness, getting right with God. So some of us here today, you might have, you might, if you're honest, have wandered from God. And you might, as Colin you know, had that word about feeling unworthy this morning. Well, now is the time for you to get right with God so that you can have the shame and the guilt and all that condemnation removed and you can live under the blue sky of heaven, as it were, and live under the smile of God and know his love and total freedom. It is available through Jesus. But get right with God. So righteousness. But not, so that's about confessing and repenting of our sin. But not only that, then we want to live that out. We're not hypocrites. 
may God save us from ever being hypocrites who believe one thing and do another. But if we are right with God, we're going to then want to live a holy life, to live right, to act justly, to do mercy, to walk humbly with God, so that the things that we, the choices we make, the everyday ordinary situations of our lives match up with what we believe about Jesus and righteousness and the kingdom of God. It's what we talk about here when we say living for the kingdom. Um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, there's meant to be a holiness. There's meant to be a purity. There's meant to be a, a integrity about the people of God that sets us apart, that makes us distinctive, salty, um, provocative in the culture in which we live. We're not meant to look like the world around us. Otherwise, why would they ever be interested in anything we've got to say? We are called to be a people of love, compassion, tenderness, and great um, you know, living lives of holiness before the Lord. So that's what it means to sow righteousness. I think it's a beautiful vision to have for life. To, to not, do, not just make your own way, but to... Like, it's a beautiful picture of giving out here, isn't there? Sowing it. You're casting this righteousness all around you. Every act of love, every, every act of compassion and anything you can think of that puts the kingdom of God out there in the world that you do, this is sowing righteousness. You're laying up treasures in heaven. Um, it's also about a... And we spoke about, in a meeting this week where we spoke about this, and I thought it was a good description. It's like a wholeheartedness, a sort of open-handedness, an open-heartedness that we can have in life. Sowing righteousness, sowing the right way of living according to God's standards. Sowing that in life, in your parenting, in your business in your marriage, in your singleness, in everything that we might do together. Everyone has a role to play when you're sowing righteousness. And I've loved it this morning. Like There's been a role for some people this morning who've come to church, not just for themselves, but for others. And we all have a role to play. Every one of us, you have, as Martin said at the beginning, you have the shape of what God's made you to be. And without you, we miss something. We miss what God does in you, um, when you when 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 if you're not here, for example, and you've got a role, you've got a ministry, you've got a calling, and God wants us to step into that commitment of doing the ministry that God's given you: prayer ministry, making the coffee after church, welcome team, it's giving someone a word of encouragement. There's a hundred ways you can do it, but let's be those who are high in our commitment to serving, which is sowing righteousness. Sowing righteousness. This is the way to get back on track. The truly happiest people in life are those who are serving. I really believe that. If you're not serving, there's always that ache inside somewhere. So, and also remembering the basics. You know, sowing might be getting into your Bible, getting into the Word. Sowing might be kneeling in prayer. I love what Natasha shared earlier. Um, sowing might be fellowship with other believers. It might be your giving. It might be so many different ways you can sow righteousness.
Um, so I would encourage you to think, how am I sowing? That's the longest one, by the way. So the others are shorter. But um, you'll be glad to hear. But sowing, how are you doing it? Then for secondly, reap the fruit of unfailing love. Reap. You sow, you reap. Now here is such a powerful truth. I think when it talks about reaping the fruit of unfailing love, what that means is, or in Ephesians said, rooted and grounded in love. It's like this identity at the core of your being is the love of God. The father heart of God is your identity. It's, it's, he is at the center of your soul. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Who's the one with unfailing love? It's only him. It's only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we are going to have our identity in Jesus. We're going to have our whole life. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. Nothing. And so the way back, how do we get back on track, is to put love at the center, not fear. Love is where it's meant to be there. And that's why... I think when love is at the center, so much other stuff gets sorted out. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how, you know, yeah, I'll leave it there. A lot of other stuff gets sorted out. We've got to know and receive and live in the love of God and experience that love. And if you're saying today, I've never experienced the love of God, then all you need to do is come to Christ. Come Come just as you are and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and just I open my heart to your love now. And then go on a journey with God into his love. The third thing, so we've had sowing, reaping, the fruit of unfailing love. The third thing is this one. Break up your unplowed ground, your fallow ground. Um, you know, maybe lots of gardeners among us. I'm, I'm a farmer's son. I know, I know plowing very well. And I remember the hard ground, the fallow ground that would be there on the field. Um, this is quite a challenge, really. And again, it's something that you have to do for yourself. What does it say? Break up your unplowed ground. You can't ask God to do it for you. It's, it's our responsibility. Um, fallow ground is where there was once fruitfulness but now the ground stands idle and you may be able to look at a past time in your Christian life where you were growing in God and things were happening and his kingdom was at work and that's in the past but now not you know you might feel there's not much happening now that's a sign of fallow ground unplowed ground Jesus spoke about it in the parable of the sower because if you try chucking sowing righteousness on that ground it's going to be, it's not going to work. The, you know, the devil and this are going to come and steal that seed. You've, we need to have our hearts softened and tenderized and, and breakable. He says, break up your unplowed ground. This is a positive breaking. It's a contrition. In fact, the word, the Hebrew root of the word contrition means to break into pieces. And where you and I might see hard hearts in ourselves, God wants us to break them up. You know, hardness is like an unresponsive heart. Maybe a way that you can 
test it out in you is how, how, how do you find trying to respond to the Lord? Are you unresponsive or responsive to him? God wants us to be re- responsive. And, and also there's another way that the, heart, the fallowness comes in is through like weeds and stuff like that. The thing that happens with weeds, as we all know, anyone who's ever gardened, is that the best way to promote weeds is to neglect. <laughs> neglect the ground. And I wonder whether sometimes, even in all we've been experiencing, we may have neglected our hearts uh, in some way. The weeds have come up. The, the weeds of unforgiveness, of offense, of, of anger, of fear, of unbelief. All these weeds coming in and clogging and making us really unfruitful. Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so it's so important for us as, as followers of Jesus to do some breaking work in our hearts so that the ground can be cultivatable by the Holy Spirit, by those sowing believe the fruitfulness can come from. So just imagine us at the moment, we're sowing in righteousness. In other words, we're being active in our discipleship. We are reaping his, his unfailing love, so we're living in that place of the love of God as our primary identity. And we're also keeping our hearts cultivated because the Holy Spirit wants to be doing more and more and more. And your heart, even though it might feel at the moment in a small place, or in a hard place, God wants to enlarge your heart to give you even more capacity for God, even more capacity to love one another, even more capacity for his kingdom to work through you. Sometimes we think so small, but God wants to enlarge your heart. He wants to break our hearts in the best possible sense of breaking. Um, So may may God give us contrite hearts, uh, humble hearts. The way to break up is to humble yourself. And humbling yourself is not saying, I'm rubbish. That's not humbling yourself. That's totally, that's, um, that's not going to help you. <laughs> uh, humbling yourself is when you take your right place before God. That's what humbling yourself is. God is actually kneeling would be a great posture because we recognize Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, and I, I, I bow to you. I, and in the Welsh revival, they used to use this language bend me, bend me, you know, to bow before the Lord, to humble yourself, to tenderize your heart, to break the pride, to break the hardness, and all the things that have callousest our souls, and let God build. Let God bring forth fruit from our souls that will just blow our minds. God wants to do that. And here's the last word, and it's the word. So we've talked about sowing, reaping, breaking up. And then it says, seek the Lord. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. Isn't that amazing to seek the Lord? And again, I I just keep coming back to that picture of kneeling. Seek the Lord. What does it mean to you to seek the Lord? 
uh, to call on the name of the Lord, to cry out to God, to encounter him, to worship the Lord your God and have no other gods before him, to seek his presence. Like Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere unless you come. Lord, more of your presence to encounter him in his love and holiness. This is the place of seeking the Lord. And God looks for people who will seek him. Seek my face, he says. Your face, Lord, will I seek. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. You know, we're, we're, we're seeking his face. We're seeking to be transformed. Seek first his kingdom. You know, and the Bible also says, for those who seek will find. Isn't that good? So we're not promised here this is going to be like some sort of um, maze <laughs> that you're never going to find God. Actually, God is God's seeking us before we ever seek him. He is eager to know you. He is excited that you would seek him. Uh, he's not reluctant about this. He is very passionate. So isn't that wonderful? Seek him until he comes. We want God to come into our lives, into our community and our church. And I just love this last bit. Uh, until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. We all know when the rain falls, it goes everywhere. And wouldn't it be wonderful in this crooked and perverse generation to actually see the tables turn and let's have righteousness everywhere. Amen. These four words done by God's people, God will honor it and the tables will turn. And that which was unrighteous, God can, God can establish righteousness. As Sally said earlier, he is sovereign. The Lord is God. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The God, of, the God who sent revival to Nineveh and they, all of them, repented. Amazing. A city of 100,000. And God can save a nation in a day. He sits over the circle of the earth. God is so powerful. We must not think of him like a thimble full of God. We have an, we have an awesome God who is able to make righteousness rain down in our nation again. That's what we need. And here's the very final thing. The response, because in verse 13, here's a, here's a little bit of sobering truth. The truth is in verse 13, it says, but you have planted wickedness and you have um, reaped evil and you have eaten the fruit of deception because you depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. So what we see here is that the prophet is saying there's always a choice in these things. And we can walk away if we want. If we choose to walk away, we can. And there'll be no revival and there'll be no righteousness and there'll be, there'll be hardness of heart and we'll go on into defeat and exile. That's what happened to Israel. And it can happen. And sadly, I see it happen in people's lives. They turn away from the Lord. They walk away from him. All because they stopped sowing, stopped reaping, stopped breaking up and stopped seeking. 
and they wander away. And may God have mercy. May we never, ever do that. Never turn away from Christ. Uh, But some do. The love of many will grow cold. People will not put up with sound teaching. They'll just go with whatever they think they feel the best. And we see it, and the, the mess that we see in the church, in our nation today, is living proof of it. How many have wandered from the faith? How many? It's so sad. So I want to encourage us today. The heart of God, like, like in the beginning of Hosea, he is wooing us. Like the, He wants us to be faithful to him and not unfaithful like Gomer was to Hosea. And, he, and he's giving us a way to get back on track to sow righteousness, to uh, reap the fruit of unfailing love, to break up hard hearts and unplowed ground, and to seek God. Isn't that the recipe for getting back on track? And I pray that God will help us to do it. And I wonder, just as we close now, if, and I mean this in all sincerity, um, you know, often I reflect on the times where I have responded and always need to do so uh, in my own walk with God. But I remember that first time for me when I came back to Jesus from double-mindedness. And I asked God to forgive me and I asked him to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And it was it was a toe. If you know that is you today and you want to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to get back on track and I'm going to reflect on these things and what they, how I might live differently now. Um, let's not live, we obviously need to live wisely, wisely, but we are not under the, the, this world and the world telling us what to do. We are under the Lordship of Christ. And if you want to put his lordship over your life today, get back on track. Just stand to your feet because I'd love to pray and respond together. (laughs) Amen. Bless you, Dorothy. I know you're with me. (laughs) Amen. So pray along with me now. And uh, maybe, and actually it might be appropriate that we, if you can, if you can, you might just want to kneel in this moment as we've been hearing from the Lord today. Don't worry if you can't. God sees your heart. God knows what's in your heart. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Honestly, sincerely, Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, we have been unfaithful. Have mercy on us, Lord. Lord, we repent and we turn to Jesus, the only one that we need. And we come to you today just as we are, weak, tired, struggling. Lord, there's so much that we don't know. And we're not sure how to work this out, Father. But we just want, we know we need you. 
and we come humbly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we're poor in spirit today. We, we know how much we need you. And so, Jesus, please wash me and my brothers and sisters. Wash us, Lord. Cleanse us. May we turn away from sin and turn to Christ. And we ask, Father, that as we do that, please send your Holy Spirit into our lives powerfully. Please fill me and us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to sow righteousness. And I choose today to play my part in your church and in your kingdom in this world. Lord, I choose to be wholehearted in serving others. Lord Jesus, I choose to be disciplined in reading your word and in prayer and in worship. Lord Jesus, I want to reap the fruit of your unfailing love and I choose now and I ask you, Jesus, that you would show me the immensity of your love. God, baptize us in the love of God to see your great Father heart of love. Jesus, more love, more power, more of you. And Jesus, also I pray that you break my and our hearts. Break us, Lord, where we've become hard. Father, have your way. Tenderize, Lord. Open my heart and our hearts to you. And I pray for so much fruit to be born through new hearts that are open. And finally, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, give me the strength to seek you. Forgive, Lord, neglect of prayer, neglect of your word, neglect, Father, have mercy. And Lord, you set before us a feast. You've set before us a feast and I pray that we would eat of your word and your truth and your love. I pray we would be people of the word and the spirit to seek the Lord, to seek God. And Father, thank you in the crushing and in the pressing. Bring forth new wine. Bring forth something much more glorious than we've ever seen before. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And thank you, Jesus, that there is always hope, even in dark times. So, Jesus, in this 18 months we've had, all we want to do is come to you. And we pray that you will do the rest in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.